Welcome to Healthcare IT Today. I'm John Lynn, together with my colleague and friend, Colin Hung. The world of technology and healthcare are ever-changing in new and novel ways, and that's why we love this stuff. So join us as we discuss the latest healthcare and health IT news, meshed together in new ways which help generate ideas and new perspectives. Plus, we'll have a little fun along the way. On today's episode, we'll be talking about the 2020 presidential election and its impact on health IT. And be sure to follow the show on Twitter at the hashtag HITSM and our personal accounts at TechGuy and at Colin underscore Hung. Plus, check out our 14 years of health IT blog content at healthcareittoday.com. Man, this topic, you know, we record these three or four weeks in advance, right? Uh, so the election will be happening tomorrow if you're listening to it at Healthcare IT Today. And it's in two weeks if you're listening to Healthcare Now Radio. So, uh, you know, these are, you know, really advanced predictions. So a lot could happen, but uh, <laughs> should be a fun discussion today. It should. And we're venturing into a territory that we normally don't go into, of course, which is politics. Uh, but we won't really be debating the politics of it, but just more of, you know, what's going on with health IT. And I think, you know, as you and I were talking before we started recording, John, one of the things that we were both surprised at, uh, maybe not surprised, maybe disappointed at, is the fact that healthcare as a whole, other than COVID, is really not something that's being debated or discussed or in any of the platforms of the major parties right now. Everything is just focused on the COVID pandemic. Maybe that's okay, but it would have been nice to have some other discussions around, you know, Medicare for all and, you know, uh, pre-existing conditions and all these other things that are, of course, part of healthcare. Yeah, I mean, I get where you're coming from on the disappointment and the distractions that's kind of happening, but I'm also not disappointed because, it kind of feels like we've had these discussions and it just feels like we're retreading the same topics over and over and over again. And, and, and there's two ideological differences on both sides of how to approach healthcare. And so, you know, in some ways I'm kind of glad we're not going through it because it feels like groundhog day a little bit. Right. And <laughs> I, I think that that is the one element that has been somewhat discussed which is the Medicare for all. It happened more back when Bernie was in the race and, you know, and during the Democratic primaries and things like that. Hasn't been as much because it is so ideologically different than, you know, what Trump is talking about and what the Democratic Biden, et cetera, is talking about. It, you know, they're so different that, uh, you know, it, it's almost not even worth the discussion because they are so completely different. The only exception, too, is I have seen some ads that I, I think that the Trump campaign has put out saying that Biden and them were going to do Medicare for all. And my prediction is that's not what's going to happen. I don't think there's support, at least not yet, for Medicare for all. And I don't think that's the proposal that Biden would bring to the table if he's elected president. I don't think he's going to go all in with Medicare for all. Instead, I think he'll bring essentially an Obamacare plus, if you will, like Obamacare with maybe a few additional items. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I think, you know, I, I talk about it a lot coming from the country where we do have universal health care, at least for, for primary care and for, uh, for acute care. And, and I think there has to be at sort of times in history and culturally where, you know, you have that one for all, all for one kind of feeling where a Medicare for all can be passed. Right. And we're not in that moment, clearly, in the U.S. And I don't think we're like that anywhere in the world where the countries are feeling so homogenous and together that we could pass something. I mean, Canada passed its, 
its law for uh, universal healthcare back when the world war had just, you know, just finished. Right. And so at that moment in history, you're like, yeah, like we're all together. We're root, you know, we we're supporting each other. And that was sort of one of the few times in history where you could have passed it. Right. Um, I don't think now had Canada not done that by way back when, I don't think we would have be able to pass it now. We're just not in the world. Isn't the same kind of place. So, so are you I saying think, we're not united right now? Is it, uh, yeah, kind of... <laughs> surprisingly, <laughs> surprisingly, we're not really that united as a whole, as a world, but but I do think I agree with you. I think that no matter who, well, I think if the Demo Democrats win, I think what they'll do is sort of nip at the edges, right? So they'll be a little bit more inclusive and, and they'll have more people be able to get on Medicare and Medicaid or there'll be more programs available. So it won't be Medicare for all, but it'll be Medicare for more, right? And I think that that's sort of a reasonable approach to, to, to it, as opposed to, you know, the Republicans who are obviously more interested in, in, in going back and uh, repealing that a little bit. Uh, shrinking the Medicare, the Medicare Medicaid budgets so that it's under control and, and doing other things to try and supplement that, um, which a lot of people would, would view, I think, or the ones that are on it right now would view as a step backwards, but, but they are approaching it much more from a fiscally responsible way, I guess, you know, to try and, and curb that, that big giant spend, which is Medicare and Medicaid. Yeah, well, I, I think if we look at the Democrats' approach, it'll likely be something, the furthest they may be able to get is a government option, which has been talked about quite a bit. And I could see them doing essentially a lot of the things that were in Obamacare plus a government option. I'm not sure if that would pass or not. I think it's still a, a bit controversial. But what that means for health IT organizations is that there could be more competition in the payer side if they did make it to that. And I, I think there would be interesting opportunities available to health IT companies if the Democrats win and there is this new influx of spending around healthcare, which is fascinating. It's like, oh yeah, this is going to be a savings program, but we're going to spend, uh, you know, and I think that's the reality with some of the coverages that are there. And actually, you know, I don't know, maybe we'll get into the issues that of why stuff costs so much with drug pricing and, and other things, right? Uh, you know, as opposed to coverage, actually lowering the cost of healthcare. So I think that's the, the, the Democrat side that could impact healthcare IT organizations. I think if you look at the Republican side and what Trump has tried to do and what Republicans have tried to do, I still go back to, I think it was him's maybe three or four years ago, two, three years ago. I, I forget how many years. And, um, Boehner was there and he was being interviewed and they were talking, I think it was right after the election or, or something like that. And he's like, I don't know why people thought that Republicans were going to be able to pass something. He's like, Republicans have never agreed on how to fix healthcare. <laughs> and, and I heard that and I'm just like, yeah, that's where we're at today. And, you know, I think that's true in the Republican Party. And that's why they haven't passed a replacement to Obamacare or, or any other sort of health care legislation. And that's what I think Trump is faced with, that a lot of Republicans don't agree on what's needed to fix the health care situation, which we all know is too expensive and we're paying too much. Yeah, I think, you know, Ironically, the one area where I think they both agree, although they'll never admit it, of course, is, you know, reduction in drug prices that, you know, I think both parties will agree that there's something wrong there or something needs to be done there to protect Americans from from high drug prices and, and the gouging and the profit taking that, that has happened in more recent years. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, Trump has taken name at it. Uh, Biden has talked about it. 
Uh, ironically, that's the one area of healthcare where they can both agree that says there's something broken, we need to fix it. Um, so no matter who wins the election in, in a few weeks or tomorrow, depending on when you're listening to this, uh, <laughs> I think that the, the drug companies are, are in for a little bit of change uh, because I think that will eventually become uh, something that they'll take aim at, both parties. I mean, after we get through COVID and of course with the vaccines, um, I think once that dies down, um, I think they'll relook at that drug pricing and the way that that's done in the U.S. Because in, certainly in the current situation with COVID, with so many people losing their employment uh, and losing um, uh, losing coverage, you know, we're we're hearing a lot more stories up here in Canada ar- around mass imports or mass exports of drugs from countries like Canada to the United States, just because the prices are you know, magnitudes different for everything from insulin to, you know, uh, other types of cancer drugs. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable the cost difference and all it is is just, you know, a step over a border, right? Yeah. And it's hard to say uh, where that's going to go because the pharma lobbies are so powerful and influential. And so, you know, I have no predictions on that. I wish something would happen uh, because you look at the prices and it just doesn't make sense. I mean, I remember dealing with this when I worked at a, a healthcare organization. We had a pharmacy and they said, we have to charge AWP plus $2.95. I was like, why? The drug costs you $2 to buy. Well, if we go to the insurance company and we charge them $5 rather than AWP, which was average wholesale price, then they won't pay us. I'm like, okay, I guess that makes sense. And sure, you might as well charge the higher amount, but Man, it just so much about that just doesn't make sense. But I also think it's one, a really challenging problem to solve. uh, And the lobbies are against it. Now, that said, there has been a lot more conversation around it and realization that there are some issues here. So I'm hopeful that they'll do something as well. But on the front for health IT companies, I think if Republicans get elected, it's more of the same. I, I don't think that, you know, th- there's going to be that much change. They're not going to see massive legislation. Uh, you know, the Democrats will still hold the house. And so that, you know, they really won't be able to pass anything. So I think that's interesting. If the Democrats sweep everything, uh, that will be, you know, we'll be in for some big changes and some things that a lot of health IT companies are going to have to deal with. Of course, if the Republicans hold the Senate, well, then we're kind of into stalemate again. So, uh, you know, anyway, it'll be interesting to watch. But I think, you know, there are some things that uh, I, will, I think will continue, right? The whole information blocking uh, legislation and For all sure. those, those will still happen. I mean, those are, first of all, they're far too far below party lines, right? Like that's just more, more of an administrivia or administration. So I think those are still going forward. So I think those that were maybe hoping that maybe one or the other might cancel that or rejig it, I don't think that's going to happen. I think they're pretty much going to go forward as they're currently set. Might be some commentary or adjustment here and there, but I think a lot of those things are already on the rails and are already well down the track. But you're, like you said, there may be some new things that come that are that come forward, maybe some stuff around virtual care, just given how much of that mm-hmm. has taken off, and and there needs to be maybe some uh, permanent um, easement of the laws around you know, practicing in multiple jurisdictions and those kinds of things. Again, federal, the federal government doesn't really have jurisdiction over that, but they could put pressure, uh, you know, on the states to kind of really adopt this. So uh, especially if the Democrats win, but it'll be interesting. I, I, I agree with you. I don't think the election is really going to change too much of the trajectory of health IT. I think the focus now that we've gone through the, you know, Affordable Care Act and, 
and we've gone through the whole meaningful use stuff, I don't think there's really a focus from either party to really either spend or change drastically what's happening in the health IT space. It's a great point about health IT. In fact, it might be the only <laughs> or near only, I guess you have the pharma one that we mentioned before, but health IT is one of the only bipartisan things out there. They all agree that technology should improve healthcare and should be used and the information blocking is bad. Like those are things that everyone agrees with and, you know, how we implement it, how do we monitor it? How do we, you know, should there be enforcement if you are blocking, uh, you know, th that's interesting. And I think it will be a thing of discussion. I think the other area that could be really interesting is around privacy. Uh, and I'm not sure it will come as a revision to HIPAA, although, you know, HIPAA could be updated for sure. <laughs> There's an argument there. I think instead it's going to come more as a consumer effort. And so from the consumer perspective, what are the consumer privacy rights that need to be implemented? I think that's going to happen. I think it's going to happen regardless of which party is elected. Yeah. And it's funny you mentioned HIPAA. I was laughing the other day because that had not reared its head in the election, of course, until the president's physician used it as a shield on the, when describing his condition, which ironically, you know, I, it was funny because I, uh, in, at that moment, I did feel for him a little bit because if, if the patient, in this case, the president, didn't agree for him to disclose it, then he can't disclose it. So he wasn't wrong to say, well, yeah, it, wasn't, it wasn't because of HIPAA, it was because of his patient said, I can't share it. And that is perfectly, you know, a legal and, and, and true thing to say, except he invoked the H word, HIPAA, and, and made it look like the law was responsible versus the individual that was responsible. So up until that point, HIPAA had not reared its head in the election at all, at least to my knowledge. And so it's kind of funny because that thrust it a little bit back into the limelight as people rushed to kind of, you know, ex explain to people again what it was and what it is. And, and I agree with you. I don't think there's an appetite on either party to, to open that back up again. Um, again, I think in the later stages of whoever wins, they might take a look at it and maybe add or maybe make a couple small changes, but I really don't think it's on anyone's burning agenda that we have a privacy issue you know, in the US around data other than blocking, right? Other than the ability to share it and, and use it and the patient's rights to it. So um, if anything, the one area of privacy that I think would be interesting is big tech. Um, which is sort of tangential to HIPAA, but it's all the other type of data that they're collecting through, whether that's Amazon or, or Fitbits and so forth. What is that data and what, who governs the use of that? And how clear do you have to be on how you're using that data and where it's going? And because it's not, I mean, it, it's kind of PHI, but not really PHI. And so I think if anything, that will become an area as, as either, as both governments have, or both parties may take aim at big tech. And that may just sort of get swept up along with it, right? Because, you know, there's talk about, you know, breaking up Google and breaking up Amazon and all these things. And I think that's just sort of part and parcel with it, right? They just sort of will bury those couple of lines in the law to say, oh, by the way, you can't do this with the health data you're collecting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, think about it. How much Walmart's doing to get into healthcare? How much Amazon's doing to get into healthcare? I think there are some real interesting concerns with big tech. And when it comes to that, I think it is interesting, though, that many of these new laws, especially around the information blocking, are going to enable those big tech companies and startup companies, for that matter, uh, to really be able to do what they need. Uh, I know in our recent Expo.Health uh, experience series, Shahid Shah made some great points about the fact that the information blocking essentially says you have to give over the data. 
and, and he gave the example, which I'll just repeat here because it was so good. He's like, it can say, you know, compromise system.com <laughs> or, you know, like hack system.com. And if I want to share my health data with hack system.com as you as a provider organization or you as an EHR vendor has to say, okay, you're the patient and you know you better. <laughs> and maybe hacksystem.com is your own site. So, hey, you as a patient knows that it's not compromised and that's your, maybe that's your mitigation strategy. I don't know. But you, like you literally don't have the choice, which Epic kicked back against this when the legislation came out and said, wait a minute, I have a responsibility to help the patients and to help protect them. And the laws, at least to the current uh, administration, has said, no, if the patient wants to do it, they can. You got to do it, so, yeah. <laughs> you know, to Trump's point, right? If Trump wants to share his info, he can. That's kind of the catch-all, get-out-of-jail-free card for HIPAA. If the patient says okay, then it's allowed. And so it's really interesting that way, you know, how that's going to enable many of these tech companies to get access to data that they probably wouldn't have had otherwise. Just all they have to do is say, patient, are you okay with this? And if they say yes, they're going to do it. Hey, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Healthcare IT Today with John Lin and Colin Hung. And today we're talking about politics and its impact of the election potentially on healthcare and health IT. So, John, we've talked a lot about, you know, what happens if certain parties win and, you know, with the Medicaid for all and, and all these things. But what, what do you think will actually change? Is there something that you think um, will be impacted by this election or by the parties that, that get elected? Yeah, I mean, I, I still think that the biggest impact probably is going to be around telehealth. There's so much movement around that. I, you know, even if you look at, you know, say the Democrats win, I already said if the Republicans win, not much is going to happen. But if the, the Democrats win, it's going to take them at least a year, maybe two years to really you know, debate it, put it together. You know, it's not like they can just go grab Obamacare and all the things that were stripped away from it and the fundings that were stripped away and just say, they'll do that. Don't get me wrong. They're going to do some of that right away, especially the executive orders from the president if they win. But for the full plan, it's going to take at least a year or two to really do the full legislation. And even then, it's probably more, more payers, more opportunities, more restrictions to payers. So it likely will impact payers more than it will other organizations. There will be some trickle-down effect to provider organizations as well. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, if they, can't, if they could get Medicare for all, that would be a different story. I am not even sure how that transition happens. Like I don't think any of us can really process what a shift to Medicare for all would mean. And like, okay, does that mean insurance companies are gone? And, and you know, on the bright side, every health IT company would be like, wait, so I only have to integrate with one payer. One payer. Yeah. <laughs> I only have to understand one payer system. Like, there's a re-argument to be made that Medicare for all for health IT would be wonderful. It would be an incredible innovation. Uh, although maybe you have other arguments from Canada where it's still <laughs> some of the same challenges. I know I, uh, you know, even just the, something as simple as having a national patient ID, uh, even in single payer still has challenges. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, but, and I, I don't have this data and I, I want to go back and see if I can find a history book that will tell me, but I wonder if when we enacted um, our universal health system in Canada, whether there was sort of a rush 
like at the very beginning of people like, okay, I can finally get healthcare. So I'm going to go, right. Cause I I've been putting it off or I never got any. And, and there's this crush of people that never had care that now can go get it. Right. But then, and then sort of it drops off, right. Because now, okay, I got my care and now it's sort of everyone else after that is like, this is just normal. I can get care in there anytime I want. So I'm not, you know, I think the big fear that a lot of people have under the Medicare for all program is you get a, is someone going to abuse the system? Right. Mm. And, and, and in Canada, we actually have no, uh, there's no upper ceiling. There's no cap to how much you can use the healthcare system. And, and in a weird way, it worked not having that cap because it, it, it turns out when you have a big enough pool, there are people who never use the healthcare system. And then there are people who are high users and, and it worked out because everyone's in the same pool where it's okay that somebody wants to go to the doctor every other week. And, uh, and, and on the other side, there's people who never go. So what I'm getting at is I don't, I think the, the concern that a lot of people have in the U S is sort of in that sort of transition years where there is going to be this rush and people are just going to crush the healthcare system because they can finally get care, but it evens it itself out over time. And I think if they can do something to mitigate that, then I think it would, I think it would alleviate a lot of people's fears about the whole system collapsing. And because you're right, if everyone just went all of a sudden, it would collapse the system, right? As, um, so, sure. yeah. Well, I think there's interesting though, because it kind of reminds me of why people are like, I can't text my patient or I can't send a portal message to from, <laughs> I can't get messages from my patient through the portal. They're going to abuse it and they're going to try to get free care. You know, like there was all these fears and we've now proven that guess what? Most patients don't really care about their health care. <laughs> You're right. like, I'm not like, Ooh, it's free. I'm going to go abuse that. Doctor. Don't reduce it now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've proven that, I mean, the, the ones that would abuse it, they're going to abuse you, whether the portal message is open, they're going to call 30 times or whatever. I mean, right. like you have to address those people regardless. Right. And so like, you know, I think it's kind of similar to what you're describing, you know, like we don't go for a checkup to the doctor's office because we need a friend, you know, right. <laughs> like we need some entertainment. Like that's just not what you do. So that's not my concern. My concern is always, you know, when has government ever got involved in something and it got lower cost, right? right. Like more efficient. <laughs> and the real problem is what are the core things that are making healthcare expensive? If we don't fix those, we talked about drug pricing. If we don't fix those things, then I don't care what system you have, it's going to be too expensive, right? Whether it's Medicare for all, whether it's Obamacare plus, whether it's our current system with other options, like it, you know, none of them are going to do it if you don't fix the cost problem. Yeah. And, and you know, what, one of the things that I think is a little bit sort of adjacent to the, the problems we've been talking about, John, is the fact that, you know, we are dealing with a pandemic and, and both parties, no matter who's elected, is going to have to figure out something in terms of buttressing or supporting the people who have lost their jobs. And there has been, a, you know, millions of people who are out of work and unable to restart work because if you work in hospitality, that's not, that's not coming back. And because of that, they can't get care, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, the, the number of bankruptcies, you know, we may be seeing a spike in those due to Medicare, Medicare. Um, um, medica medication expenses or med expenses. Uh, we may see people foregoing care, which seems to be the more, pro you know, more uh, the thing to, that people are doing now, they're just not getting care. So you have yeah. this sort of pent up problem that's just rolling down the hill. 
And whoever goes, gets into power is going to have to deal with that. All of a sudden you're going to have this crush of people who are declaring bankruptcy or who are just going to suddenly burden the parts of the Medicare and Medicaid system that, you know, is not well-funded. So it'd be interesting to see what the parties do because that's unfortunately where a lot of that funding goes right now is it goes to pay for, you know, the, the care that people need who aren't able to work. So well, and to your point, we're in a false market. Uh, you know, it was buttressed by $3 trillion of, of stimulus and a lot of corporations who essentially were doing, you know, taking care of their employees with insurance for another six months, even though they were laid off or, you know, all sorts of programs like that. So once that cliff falls off, I don't think we know what to predict. And, uh, you know, it's hard to see what's going to happen. Will they do another stimulus? I mean, that that's a very political question as well. Although I think it is an interesting way to, to finish up this, uh, this episode. Do you think there's more stimulus for healthcare organizations who are struggling quite a bit? Yeah, that, you know, I think there has to be um, because you can't let the healthcare system collapse in the middle of a pandemic. And uh, what we're seeing now is the erosion of all the electives. And thankfully, they've come back a little bit. But have, if we have to go back into lockdown or, or should the uh, COVID get worse, which it looks like it will, you know, that will have a big, severe impact on revenue. So, yeah, I mean, but whether it's you give the money directly to the providers or whether you give it to patients to then go to the providers, who knows? Sure. Uh, but I think there does have to be some form of, of aid package for that group because they, they need it. Yeah, I just hope it's more targeted. Uh, it's really frustrating, the previous one, where they'd give hundreds of millions of dollars to someone who has billions in the bank, uh, healthcare organizations. That's right. Uh, if they don't do something, I think it's going to make the the rich richer and the poor healthcare organizations are going to suffer and and probably get bought out, disappear, et cetera. So that that's a sad scenario. So hopefully they do a little something for those that are that are really suffering and not just those that, you know, are suffering but have plenty in the bank. <laughs> right. Well, on that note, John, we've come to an end of another episode of Healthcare IT Today. So thank you to all of you who tuned in. You can find out more details about our show by checking out the programs page on healthcarenowradio.com. And please share your voice and engage with the community using the hashtag HITSM or at healthcareittoday.com. I'm Colin Hung with my friend and health IT collaborator, John Lynn. Thanks for listening. Have a great week.